Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the studio, properly socially distanced uh, from Mike. Uh, as we're continuing our COVID-19 uh, online learning series, um, and specifically in these recordings um, for Philosophy 201 Ethics at Wisconsin Lutheran College, using as the basis for discussion uh, the book by Gilbert Mylander, Bioethics, a Primer for Christians. And here <clears throat> we're going to be building off our uh, discussion in the previous Philosophy 201 podcast session of suicide and euthanasia and discussing then today um, refusing treatment, chapter 7 and chapter 8, who decides. Um, this may be a shorter discussion than what we've had before because some of the uh, the basic concepts are going to come out of what we, we hit on in the previous chapter. Um, but hopefully a helpful discussion as well. When it comes to Chapter 7, Refusing Treatment, what we're especially going to be discussing is when it comes to end of life, um, is it always wrong to refuse treatment? Uh, must one try to stay al alive as long as, as, as scientifically possible? Or medically possible, or must we keep a loved one alive <clears throat> as long um, as medically or scientifically possible? And as we've been doing, I'll maybe start with a few statements from Mylander, and then we can react to those and move on. For students, just a reminder, uh, this is not intended to be just a regurgitation of your reading. We're assuming you're reading, and then kind of going where discussion might go in a classroom setting uh, in these podcast sessions. Uh, but Mylander speaks of... Uh, <clears throat> On page 68, he says, The good host recognizes certain boundaries. He neither kicks out his guest nor presses him to stay when the time has come for the party uh, to end. In this, uh, he applies to care for the, for the dying. Neither kicks out his guest nor presses him to stay when the party has, has ended. And this is something that um, I would say, especially for pastors listening, <clears throat> most if not all of us have ministered to families who are put in a position of making a hard decision now of what to do for their loved one. Perhaps they're terminal. Perhaps much of what is humanly possible has been done for them. They could be kept alive on um, equipment. Um, need they be kept alive on that equipment? Um, think of the patient who's been diagnosed with terminal cancer. They're told um, chemo might give them six months. Um, without chemo, maybe they'll have three months, but they'll be a little healthier without the chemo. Um, is it always wrong not to prolong life for every minute that might be possible? <clears throat> and I guess, Mike, um, since we're trying to replicate a little bit what we might have with class discussion, I'll just throw it to you first, big picture, for anything that comes to mind and wrestling with those things. Well, I... I've always had trouble with ordinary care and extraordinary care. So ordinary care would be something that you would normally have for uh, ordinary care is something that uh, a nurse, a doctor would do ordinarily, right? And an extraordinary care, care would be, for instance, a life-saving measure. I think I'm getting that right. And so if you are going to pull ordinary care from somebody that would be ethically dubious, but it doesn't necessarily mean 
that you have to do extraordinary care. I think I have that right. I always had trouble with that because of the simple question of what, what is ordinary care? Is, is feeding, feeding tube ordinary care, right? Is, um, uh, th this and becomes... Is it, in every circumstance, is it necessarily the right. same? Yeah. And so I, I, always, I, at one point in my thinking, I'm like, well, that solves everything perfect. But then I started thinking about it, and I think a better question, of course, is are you playing God or are you not playing God? And what I mean by that when it comes to end of life is exactly what our author here is saying is, are you trying to hold on to someone's life, maybe selfishly from your point of Almost view? Almost making it an idol. So I am, I am, my, my wife is on her, her deathbed, and I cannot bear to live without her, and so I am holding on to her when clearly it's time to She's go. She's just a shell of herself. Yeah, yeah, it's clearly time to go, and she wants to go, and God is calling her home. And I need that as if God, as if God would not be a good enough God to make my life fulfilling enough without, with, right. without her at that moment. Or do I go, listen, and, and pastors, many pastors have had that moment where they say to the family, um, you know, perhaps we're being selfish and holding mm -hmm. on yeah. too much. Yeah. And, but that's, that's delicate. Right. The, the other side is. I'm really sick of visiting my wife in the ICU and I'd like to move on with my life. And this is sucking me, my, my uh, savings away. <clears throat> then that would be the opposite. I'm, I'm choosing then I'm no longer the creator, but I are the creation, but I'm the creator. So again, it's kind of the same concept we've always been talking about, but I, I don't know what you feel about the ordinary, extraordinary care. And I, I fumbled on my definitions there cause I haven't thought about that in a while, but I, I think the basic point, came out just fine like um yeah i think this this chapter the, the key thing to keep in mind is it, it's a recognition that um <clears throat> sometimes we let god be god and nature take its course um and sometimes uh that's an act of faith right <clears throat> on the flip side sometimes it would be uh not an act of faith to make use of the gifts that God has given us <clears throat> for preserving life. And so in class, I usually use the, the, uh, the illustration. If I have surgery because I'm asthmatic, I'm going to have a ventilator normally. Um, so when I hurt my knee, right, uh, if Trisha would have said no ventilator for him, mm -hmm. uh, that would have been different. I'm, I'm not exactly in the best shape ever, but I was 41. I probably had years ahead of me. This was a surgery that in most cases did not end in death. Seems, um, seems a little passive-aggressive from Tricia, too. Like, right. Um, that would be different than if I had been diagnosed with something terminal um, and there was not a lot of life ahead of me from a human perspective. And if Tricia were to say, um, you know, his wish was not to have, um, you know, or, or to have a DNR, mm -hmm. um, you know, don't put them on a ventilator if it's just going to, if there's no real prospect of recovery. Um, in the latter, she's refusing treatment um, out of a respect for God being, God could still heal me, right? Mm -hmm. uh, wait, form, I always mess up former ladder. Which one's the last one? Hmm. The former or the latter? Anyways. Ladder. The ladder is last. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> like late? Okay. Former, former. I don't know. I always mess that up. In the former, uh, she would have been pretty much killing me. 
because I I would have had a by all accounts a a really good prospect of survival from knee surgery as a 41 year old. And, and so, um, how do we treat someone where we neither kick out the guest um, nor force them to stay home? In the case of of the chemotherapy, um, if God forbid that were to happen to me, I might want the three healthy months with my family out of love for them instead of the six sickly months when death is going to be there either way, knowing that if God wishes, he can give me six months. And that's not that somehow I've become a a faith healer. I'm not saying God must, um, but I'm recognizing that I'm an actor in a play I did not write, and and this may be God's will. Now, if the doctors had said, the chemo has an 80% chance that you'll live for 20 more years, now this becomes a different situation. And so how do we uphold and value life um, while at the same time not making life here the idol, right? I mean, you see that with some forms of transhumanism, right? This desperate attempt um, to live forever. And so Mylander has a good line that gets at this. He says, life is not our God, but a gift of God. Death is a great evil, but not the ultimate evil. And I think that's the balance that Christians will want to keep in mind. I think there's a uh, Richard John Newhouse quote, I think, like, I don't fear death, but I'm not afraid to live. Right. Right. And I think that that is actually, that's kind of stuck with me and I think is pretty good one. And so my letter can say later, treatments that are useful and perhaps even life-saving may sometimes be excessively burdensome. Because life is not our God, we need not accept all burdens, no matter how great, in order to stay alive. We need to recognize clearly what this means. It means that we might rightly refuse even useful treatment that would prolong our life for a significant period of time if that treatment really does carry with it significant burdens. Um, To reject or withdraw treatment because of its burdens is still a refusal of treatment, not of life. So this can sometimes be a a messy situation or a very difficult situation, but I think you said on the front end of this, Mike, there's some times where we just have to... uh, consider everything, make the best decision we think we can, and then pray God's mercy and grace upon the situation. So he'll summarize, he'll say on page 74, treatment may be refused or withdrawn when it is either useless or excessively burdensome. Uh, And this will always be then a very careful decision that has been very carefully researched. Yeah. And and there's a reason why Kyrie eleison is the song of of the church from well before when Jesus was walking around, right? I, I really do like that. You know, Luther said, follow your conscience, and we don't mean that the conscience is perfect. Um, a conscience informed by the word of God, right? Um, and a, and a, an informed conscience is going to want to do what the what the word of God says. But there's just, there's a lot of situations that are gray. There just is, I'm sorry. And um, I always find it very comforting to me, and I, I would say this to to mature Christians um, when they would come to me and say, you know, basically without saying it, can you make a decision for me? <laughs> I say, I can't make that decision for you. I want you to do the best you can make your decision, move on and say, Lord have mercy. Yeah. And, and, and know that God's going to forgive you. So. And then later in this chapter, he'll also uh, bring out, I think, which is helpful for discussion with students um, that there's a time where you don't necessarily tell the suffering one everything. We get this with kids, right? We don't always tell kids the whole truth for their own good. Um, 
And he, he says there, some truths cannot be received at just any moment. Um, <clears throat> we don't necessarily on the spot want to tell the patient, you've got this condition, um, do you want to live or die? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a time and a place to tell them and then a time and a place to put decisions before them. And this, again, will be the value of neighbor, of family, of community uh, to help determine that time and carry it out. That brings us then next, I guess, to the Who Decides chapter. And here he gets to protecting Christian uh, Christian conscience as well um, in the medical field, which I think is, is helpful to discuss. Um, but, but maybe you mentioned before, um, Mike, you know, the the importance of working out a will before you die for the good of your loved ones. Um, and I would say, too, the importance of sitting down and having frank discussions with your family about advanced directives and other things of what you would want to have done um, in certain circumstances where uh, there is latitude in an ethical fashion to help relieve the burden that is put on your loved ones or your family. Um Anything that comes to mind with that, yeah, or was there anything you did in the parish about, to encourage yeah, that? Yeah, we talked about in the suicide uh, last situation that there's going to be a you're going to leave a wake. There's going to be a ripple effect. This is true of every death, right? I mean, if you've ever been through uh, burying a person, and I had uh, it was a good learning experience for me. I had a member who had nobody, and so I became their legal guardian when that this person had some medical issues. And so, uh, I was in charge of medical decisions, but I also had to take care of his financial affairs when he was dead. I mean, I had to pick out the casket and stuff like that. Um, it is not a one afternoon kind of thing. No. Um, and there is a lot of legal things that need to be taken care of and stuff like that. And so just in general, will is very important. Uh, but when it comes to a living will, when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, uh, certain medical decisions, uh, as much as you can um, predict the future, that and, and quite frankly, as much as you can fill that out, you can take the burden off of your family. Um, and they can say, this is what we've discussed. This is what mom or dad wants. And so we're going to do that and maybe even have prepared for the inevitability of that. And, and to realize as you do that, though, too, that you can't anticipate every situation and sort of not handcuff your family. Right. Either right. if I were to put in something, no ventilators ever, right. well, then I've now handcuffed right. Trisha when I have knee surgery. And um, you should make sure she doesn't say that, that she didn't go in there and switch I've that told up. her no tubes ever, which could yeah. be very problematic. Um I don't want anything going in my body <laughs> other than like food yeah. and drink. Uh, what is the feeding tube? Yeah, that's a tube. But it's putting food in. But she won't respect my wishes on this. She's already told me this. <laughs> uh, there are, uh, every church body is going to have um, somebody that has filled out the form and you just put your name in it and you 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 uh, check a few boxes. This is not difficult. This is not hard. There are, there are, there's, you know, think of legal zoom, right? This is the legal zoom of the Christian world where you can get these solutions there and uh, you can get those things notarized. Um, and, and 
it doesn't take that long to actually fill out. What takes long is to, to contemplate these issues. And so just to, just I'll, I even, I, and so we did push that a little bit in our parish. I even encourage people to do everything, like pick the hymns for their funeral. Yeah. I mean, do all of I this. I had forums that I gave everybody just yeah. to. I mean, just seriously, I know it's. Because that's kind of a wonderful opportunity to make a strong confession to your family if you've picked out readings and hymns. And, that, and save them from arguing, Ben. It doesn't hurt to go talk to your pastor about it. It's a wonderful, we talked about the Ars Morundi in the last episode. It's a good chance to prepare yourself. And yeah, and and there's a a lot, we've talked about that with funerals too. There's a lot there. Um, But we've all been into situations where uh, uh, maybe a family that has not been getting along gets together for this funeral and you're like, this is going to go one of two ways. Either they're going to be drawn closer or or the rift's going to get wider. And uh, and humans are humans, uh, sinful. They're, you know, adults act like kindergartners all the time and they don't really care about whether these flowers or those flowers are going to be used, but they all of a sudden care when their estranged sister wants it one way. Right. And so there's just that kind of natural thing to, 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 uh, be out in advance of that will be a gift that you will be giving to your, to your family, especially, uh, when it comes to those end of life issues as well, because you should not assume, even if you're in a Christian family, that everybody in in the family is going to be on the same page with these end of life issues. Mm-hmm. There are going to be people who are going to be very black and white people that are going to say, this is it and that's it. <clears throat> and there's sometimes too, the person who's in deep grief because they realize they didn't have as much time with their loved one as they wish they would have spent maybe they deeply regret that, mm-hmm. um, who are going to strongly assert themselves at that time wanting to keep that person around as long as possible, which will sometimes be a burden to those who were there a lot to care for that person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes an, an additional burden, yeah. Yeah, so, <clears throat> yeah, we should we should uh, team up and really write this book, uh, The Art of Dying, <laughs> in a <laughs> modern sense, you know, uh, The Art of Dying and also uh, Living Wills. So, yeah, I... I you can you can you can uh, save a lot of grief in your family if you if you do that. And uh, after I after I went through that process on the legal side with this this member of mine, I, I was visiting my parents and asked to see their will that hadn't been updated since the I believe the eighties, and kind of encouraged them to uh, I don't want to I don't want to go through this again. Please make sure that that everything's in order. Yeah. And in there, um, I think Mylander has helpful advice, too. He says, I think, therefore, that we ought to prefer the health care power of attorney to the living will. It, too, of course, reaches out into a future beyond the limits of our competence. <clears throat> but it does so in a way that recognizes and affirms dependence. I, it anticipates and accepts that others will have to bear some burdens for us uh, that we may, uh, as we may for them. And I think <clears throat> there is the power of talking about stuff and not overdoing it, being too specific in directives where you might handcuff people, but recognizing our interdependence, which I think is always a strength, um, but to do in a way that minimizes the amount of burden that we are putting on those who uh, who are caring, caring for us. As far as uh, protecting Christian conscience in the, in the practice of medicine, um, I think there, especially people we have going out and in the nursing field and stuff like that, uh, a couple things that are important to keep in mind is there's just certain fields now which are it will be exceedingly difficult for Christians 
and good conscience to work in in specific settings and the importance of finding an employer who you can respect and who will respect you in this regard um, and, and recognizing that we live in, in, uh, in messy times uh, and knowing too that there's just times in church history where Christians just haven't been able to participate in certain um, careers mm-hmm. um, because of, of faith on the flip side, this is not to say that there should be a Christian withdrawal from what are vitally important fields. And so to balance our, our support for Christians who are going into disciplines where they can be a, a, a voice for for life and the dignity of life and the sanctity of life um, and the personhood, the someoneness of others, um, but to recognize there's a there's a big realm of conscience there where we have to wrestle with what we can do in good conscience and and what we uh of what we what we can't um he doesn't extend that section a lot so I don't want to go much beyond <clears throat> what he uh what he has to to say there um but uh but I think it's something that we'll increasingly have to wrestle with and maybe its own episodes. Yeah, I'm interesting. You have a lot of nurses in this ethics, nursing students in this, these ethics courses. Are they, I mean, they're pretty active. Maybe you get them a little bit earlier before they're seniors, but active in, in hospitals and stuff. Have they, they have stories of... I, I wouldn't say it's something that I've seen so much them have to... I think our nursing program does a very good job of preparing them for the future with that. I don't think at this point most of them have had many experiences, um, but I. I mean, we could think. And of like Mylander is bringing being this forced up. to be participate in an abortion would right. be the obvious. And Mylander is very good at bringing up that. Thankfully, in the U.S., religious freedom has kept some of this at bay, but it's it's hard to not imagine it um, emerging as more and more of a pressure at some point. So I, th- I think we're still at the point that in many fields we can consider it a, um, a possible challenge in the future more than a, a current one but i think yeah abortion provision um end of life stuff these are already going to be flashpoints where we can see <clears throat> um even with genetic i mean if you're a um you're working with people who are having children obviously there could be things that come up that are difficult and uh and so it's, it's something for us to keep in mind and maybe an episode in and of itself sometime it's not the main thrust of the chapter that's no, why i'm sure. trying to avoid going too much down that rabbit sure. hole Anything you got, Mike? No, I think that was pretty good. We've kind of uh, hit on all of the main topics as we've gone through this day. Uh, you know, what we are in chapter eight now of the book, right? Yeah. So we've we've kind of hit uh, on some of the basic stuff and applied it a little bit. So I mean, and and I do appreciate your way of doing ethics that we don't get get lost into the what ifs, right? Like okay, the trolley problems of of whatever. Right. Even though I think they're Although we do do the trolley problem with milk. Yeah, but it's not it's not the main way you should be doing ethics, right? And and even though they are necessary and sometimes fun to talk about, <laughs> um, it's not just real life sometimes. And 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 so I do Principles appreciate principles and individuals. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Well, good. Well, we will. Um, Mike and I are going to be done recording for the day, but for the ethics course, this should be getting you all. <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> through April 24th, 
We are recording today on Tuesday, April 14th, and I will get these scheduled for release throughout the week. Um, and chapters 1 and 2, which we recorded earlier today, will be for tomorrow, for Wednesday the 17th. But this should get us through the 24th, the end of next week. Mike and I plan on meeting again early next week, Lord willing, to finish out the Mylander book and get us up to Dostoevsky, the Grand Inquisitor, which will get us up to April or May 4th. We hope everyone is staying healthy, uh, students and listeners. Uh, in the midst of all this, uh, let the bird fly.